from the Comedy Zone in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is the Comedy Zone Podcast. Find us on Twitter at the CZ Podcast and email us at ComedyZonePodcast at gmail.com. Now, your hosts, Will Jacobs and Sammy Joe Francis. Welcome to the Comedy Zone Podcast. Back at you for another week of fun, laughs, and... Uh, fun, fun. Hymns. <laughs> We're going to break out into hymns at the end of this one. No, no, it's, it's, I'm flying solo today. Uh, Sammy is off in Mexico. She's having a fiesta because one of her friends is getting married. Something like that. Yeah, I think it's a bachelorette party. It seems like every other week Sammy's off. Yeah, there's something Somebody's getting it, yeah. married. She's at that age, though. You know, late 20s where all your friends are either getting married or having kids. Yeah, there was a time yeah. when, you know, that was at 15, right? I think you're right. Very young. But, <laughs> but now, they died at 27. Then they died. Yeah, and then they died yeah. at 27. So that was a little <laughs> different. But, but yeah, Sammy's away. So you got me. Uh, for the whole time here, we got an exciting show, though. We got a lot coming up. Uh, but I want to start off by saying it's been kind of a melancholy uh, week for me. Uh, one of my close friends of the family, basically like an uncle to me, passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Uh, Reverend Joel McGee. He actually uh, uh, presided over my wedding. Oh, wow. Well, we had three weddings. We had three sets of, like, we had one uh, down in South Carolina for the main one for her family and stuff. But then we had two more ceremonies up north for my family that couldn't be down here for this one. So there were three total. One was in Delaware, and he was the pastor that presided over that okay. one. So, yeah, I, I married the hell out of my wife. Yeah. So if, if, you know, heaven forbid you guys split up. Do you have to get divorced three times? How Probably. Does that work? <laughs> I think we got. I think we got to do one back that, in South Carolina and shoot up for two well, more. That could get really expensive. Well, it's probably gonna be hard to get divorced too, because you you probably have a change of heart if you got to go through three divorces. Like this ain't even worth it. Let's just. It's probably. Let's just. Yeah. We'll. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Reverend McGee, man, he was a a really really great guy, a stalwart, a community stalwart in the city of Chester, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. Uh, everybody in the city's, you know, upset about it and stuff. And he uh, he used to hang with my dad a lot. Like my dad, him, and the state representative, uh, Thaddeus Kirkland, up in Chester. Mm-hmm. He's the mayor now. Thad's the mayor, my dad's city council, and, and Reverend McGee. And they were like the three musketeers, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember my house just, the living room was like, they they call it the situation room. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they would just get together, and then you'd have like a bunch of people over just hanging yeah. out talking about politics, talking about everything, but I just have so many memories of him sitting there on the right side with his legs crossed, just sitting there pontificating yeah. on 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 some of everything. And that was a lot of my, you know, up coming up that I remember seeing him a lot. So definitely a big loss, man. And it's it's just been a year of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just yeah. last just last weekend I was at my aunt's funeral. Yeah. Uh, she was 103. Wow. Yeah, so she had a she had a nice run. It's a good run. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, here's how comedians are. I don't know if I tell you this, but I was talking to one of the uh, a, a, a local, not a local. He he performs nationally. Uh, Mike Goodwin. He's a, a Christian. Well, he does a lot of Christian uh, yeah. comedy, and I was talking to him about it. And I said, yeah, because I was supposed to talk on the phone with him about something, and uh, I had mentioned that my aunt had passed away, and he said, wow, man. He said, uh, brother, I'm sorry to hear that. 
And I said, yeah. I said, uh, she was 103. And he said, no. Oh. He said, it was about that time then. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, about that time? Yeah. That ain't how you talk about somebody's dead family member. But I feel like, though, it, like everyone always, oh, I'm shocked to hear that, you know, so-and-so. Really? Are you shocked? Like sad, yeah. certainly, but surprised that 100 and something. Yeah, yeah. You're not, uh, no, you're definitely yeah, you not yeah. like, I can't believe it. Can't, it yeah. didn't, if you were 103, it didn't come out of nowhere. Right. Right? right. right. But there's still a void because at that point, listen, man. She was 70-something when I was born. Right. So she was just always the aunt that you come yeah. over to the house down south. She's in the back room with her fan on. Right. And, and just, as, I mean, as sharp, man, sharp. Yeah. Up into her hundreds, knew me, brothers and sisters, knew them better than I know them. Yeah. She, she just was sharp, man. So uh, we lost, I lost those two. And each one is like a little hole. Absolutely. Pull out, yeah. You know, a little, little piece of you pulled out. So uh, definitely gonna miss them and it got me to thinking about life man it's and you mentioned the sammy thing earlier which kind of dovetails into this it's almost like life comes in stages and you can recognize the stages by what's happening around you yeah not even necessarily to you so it's like you younger and all of a sudden like everybody's getting their license right and that was the big thing i remember like oh shit you know such such got his license yeah i'm getting mine next year i gotta take the test again oh you took the test oh i passed i passed my test uh, so everybody was getting their license. Then people were getting cars, right? Because they, they would get the license, and then maybe a year or two later, I remember my boy Maurice, he had the first car in the neighborhood. <laughs> so we used to pile up in there like some circus clowns and ride to the mall. That was our thing. we pile up in there and go to the mall. So I remember when people started getting cars, and then people graduated. All my friends were graduating. We were all going off to college. So then we all did that. And then all of a sudden, you start getting these wedding invitations. Yeah. Then your friends are getting married. All of a sudden, such and such getting married. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm married, right? Then all of a sudden, after the marriage, kids. Oh, such and such. You know, such and such got a kid. Man, I remember when we was kids. Damn. Oh, no, 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 no. Kids, kids, kids. And then after that, people start retiring. Right. <laughs> right. There's a gap. Yeah. In between that. A lot of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of nothing. <laughs> Nothing major. It may be a divorce, maybe an arrest, (laughs) but not much happens in that gap, really. But then people start retiring. It's like, oh, such and such is having a retirement party. No, such and such is having. Oh shit, I'm about to be retired. Ba 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 ba. All of a sudden, and then people start dying. Yeah. And then you find yourself going to funeral after funeral after funeral. And I thought about that, and I was talking to my dad, and I know a somebody passing a close friend like that starts to sort of I don't know like make you think about your own mortality oh, absolutely yeah you know like people start passing away all of a sudden and you know now listen if you if you in certain demographics people do that younger right, right. In some places right. it's gun violence where everybody's getting killed but generally um you you get older and then people just start kind of kind of moving on and I think I don't know. I have to talk to my dad more, but I know if I were in his position, that would that would be something that my mind started to think. Of. I think about my mortality a lot anyway, because I've just had a lot of people pass away. Yeah. But yeah. generally, I think once your friends start going. Yeah. It's like, oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. My parents are in their upper 70s now, and they've had over the past you know 10 years or so, a lot of their circle of friends have just started dropping off or having strokes and suddenly they're incapacitated. And it's just, it's really hard on them because your circle of friends, 
gets not even gradually, but it just gets smaller and smaller, smaller and smaller, and smaller, and smaller. Yeah. I, it's it's something. And some of them, I would imagine, are people they grew up with. Oh, absolutely. Right. Their their high school graduating class stayed very very close together. So like literally every summer there were parties with the kids and things like that. So literally from the they would have gotten out of high school in the nineteen fifties. Yeah. So for you know fifty or sixty years there were parties all the time during the summers and the kids you know came and eventually grew old, grew older and moved away and eventually the parties just got smaller and smaller and then it was just kind of you know um, a gathering of middle aged people. You know, mm-hmm. the women in the kitchen, the men in the garage, and yep. and and there was you know maybe twenty four people total, and then the parties just keep getting smaller now because they're dropping off, and it's <laughs> it's 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 a little. I mean, you know, my parents are really you know super healthy and everything, but it's hard to watch their friends, the people that you grew up with, right, start to you know age and 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 eventually just they're just not there anymore, and it's. It is hard to watch, and this is a comedy podcast, but <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but you know, it but, is. It's it's, yeah. and, and, and you know what? I I think that, uh, but that's that part of comedy, man. I, yeah. uh, comedy is almost like, like the blues. Yeah. We just yeah. make it funny, yeah. Like, but the genesis of most jokes is something negative, right? Like, oh, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever you're talking about, shit ain't going right. Yeah. That's why it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> right. One of our reporters did a story last week on uh, the oldest woman in uh, North Carolina had a birthday. She's 113. Chew. And I thought, and I know this has been done before, but I thought like every morning for her when she wakes up, it's got to be like, again? Right. God. <sighs> how long is this going <laughs> to Got to be kidding. 113. Me. Or maybe, I, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I used to watch, uh, who was it on um, NBC that used to do the, such and such, Smucker's yeah, Jam. Yeah, uh, uh, Willard Scott. Willard yeah, Scott, yeah. 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 Was, and he's 128. Like, Mabel Avery is. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mabel. And then they talk about their interest. She likes sitting there and uh, <laughs> she really enjoys sitting there and breathing. She likes her diaper change and, and when, pudding. And when people. <laughs> pudding. She loves diaper changes and pudding. Happy birthday, Mabel. <laughs> I hope you know what what's happening. And when our family comes by, if they do, that's good too. <laughs> I love when they say the people's interest because it'd be the most boring yeah. shit. I'd be like, hey, she loves, she loves pudding and getting her diaper changed. Happy happy one twenty eight, Mabel. Here's the one twenty nine. Here's to another hundred. No. No, please. Yes. So you might have a point. You might get to a point. It's like, come on, man. Oh, again? Yeah. I got to do this. Oh. But I wonder, though. I mean, that is a real question, though. Yeah. Is there a point where, you know, your kids, you got your grandkids. At that point, great, great, great. great, great. Yeah. You've seen them all. All your friends that you grew up with are gone. Is there a point where you just go, you know what? I think it's. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm good with this. I'm ready. Okay. I had a full life. I've done my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You don't feel that way yet, do you? Yeah. Depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, it depends on when you ask me. Depends no, 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 no. I, I got I got a good, I got hopefully. The thing is, you don't see a lot of elderly, really tall people. Yeah. And so I do worry about that a little bit. That's true. You know? Um, I mean, like, Kareem is pretty much the only it's kind the only of older, one. tall person I can think of. Him and Bill Russell. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. both black. Hmm. I don't know no tall white ones. Yeah, no, you really don't. Yeah. 
Damn. So you know, I do, I do kind of worry about that. Um, so what it, do you think that's about? You think? Oh, yeah, I wonder what that's due to. I think, I think just the human body's not made to carry this height, this this height and this weight and this. You know, I mean, I'm not getting any smaller either. I got to do something about that. But yeah, because you know, you don't see any big, huge people either. Elderly? No, 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 no. no there aren't a lot of yeah, no big obese eighty year olds. <laughs> I've never true. seen no, it. I don't. I don't think. Yeah. That's that's a trip, man. Uh, yeah, you gotta. But you know what? That that's why you have to live life to the full. Whatever time you have, as long as you're able bodied and and of sound mind, yeah. you gotta live this thing. That was part of the reason that I went into comedy was because, man, I, I seen people pass away and everybody. A lot of people were so busy planning, right? You know, oh, if I work this many years, then I can retire. But what if you? Yeah. What if you? Yeah. What if they punch your card? Before you retire, then you just spent 30 years of busting your ass and yeah. no time to live. Yeah. So I, I said, you know what? I'm going to provide for my family and be responsible and, and do the things as a man, you know, I value um, doing. But, man, I got to live. And that's what comedy was for me. It was it was this new, you know, this new thing and an opportunity for me to, to break free and, yeah. and to live. And that's every time I'm up on stage, man, I can't. I can't even describe. I it just you just go to another place. Yeah, yeah. And uh I didn't want to be that person that was laying there with, you know, Willer Scott, you know, talking about me and then you know, I, I just sit around regretting all the stuff I didn't do. Yeah. You know, so that's why I, I have fun, man. I don't make any apologies for it. Some people be like, "Going from a lawyer to a comedian? Are you crazy?" It's like, "No, nah, I'm living." Yeah. And yeah. and you better get started living. Yeah, I've had a bunch of uh over the past, I don't know, year, maybe two years, a bunch of folks I went to high school with who, you know, I just turned 50, so they're, you know, 48, 49, 50, 51, who have passed away. And it that's an eye-opener. You know, when guys are perfectly healthy and, you know, one day they wake up and they're not feeling good and then they're having open-heart surgery and then they, you know, something happens on the table. That's an eye-opener. Wow. You know, guys like 49 years old aren't supposed to die that way. So, so then that... Does that make you reevaluate your own health decisions or your own nutrition? Yeah, activity? for a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. to smoke in that yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, I mean, I've already got the charcoal going. But I then mean, I need to feel better. So then I go yeah, fire up the yeah. smoker. Yeah, you just – there's – yeah, I mean, there is that kind of like – that finding, finding that balance between, you know, I got to live my life and I don't want to die. Yeah. So how do you, you know, where – is that balance when you enjoy food right you know and you don't necessarily enjoy exercise <laughs> right because <laughs> i did it you know i mean i played football for 10 years i had to work out yeah i don't really want to work out anymore yeah because you're not playing football <laughs> right. now it's not it's right. not There's a competitive no, right. fun thing right is my wife talks about that because she used to be in the competitive dance yeah and i mean really my wife is like you can see her now when we go to work out like just super flexible sure you could tell she was a dancer and it's just like, but once that stopped, it's just like, well, I don't like yeah. just standing on a treadmill running for 30 minutes. Yeah. So luckily we, we go together and we kind of make it fun between us. But uh, yeah, that's a real challenge. Yeah. If you, if you've been active because you enjoyed something and then that stops, you know what then? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you see these guys, these like, you know, retired NFL players, they'll go, they'll go one of two ways. Either they'll just, you know, 
gain 110 pounds. Yeah. Or they'll get like really super thin. Yeah. Um, a lot of those offensive linemen are, you know, actually pretty smart about it where they'll get, you know, they'll stop eating 3500 calories a day. Right. And uh and 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 really kind of, you know, slim down a little bit, but but it's it, it's a decision that, you know, I mean, I I there's, you know, a lot of things I enjoy. Um I mean, I'm not a binge eater, but I eat a lot of food. It takes a lot of food to get me going, and my metabolism is really slow. So there's there's a there's a a weird, you know, there's got to be a a comfort zone in there somewhere. I just have, haven't really made the effort to find it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ain't been looking for it. <laughs> no, yeah, it's really not. Yeah. Well, it's good that you got your wife locked in before it all fell apart. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, good. That's exactly. that's and that's my advice to anybody listening. Okay, you're looking in the mirror now, especially if you in your twenties. <laughs> Mid twenties. If you got a good woman and she looks good, lock her in. Lock her in at yeah. that rate. It's like a student loan. Lock it in at that rate because you don't know whether it's gonna go up. You know your weight. <laughs> it's like your weight. You don't know whether you're gonna get out of control. Yeah. But once you got her locked in, at the very least, if she leaves, you know you can be like, hey, she left me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right, she's the bad one. Yeah. You know you didn't mean sickness and in health and obesity. You didn't mean right. that. Right. Because you left me when I blew up. But then you also have an excuse to blow up even more. Then that's right. Yeah. That's right. You got so an excuse when she has a baby. You eat for two. We know how this goes. Win win. Win yeah. win. You win win. So lock a good woman in because you know you never know what to, what's going to happen with your hairline. You're going to lose control of your your body. It's your feet start to hurt. Your back hurts. Yeah. Lock a good woman in. That's what I did. I locked mine in. Word. She's locked yeah. in, man. I look at her every yep. day like, hey, you can want <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can want Morris Chestnut if you want to, but yeah. guess what? I'm here. Right. You locked her in so much, you married her three times. I married her. I triple locked it. <laughs> I took, I took. <laughs> you had a deadbolt, the chain. It's like living in New York. I like. I like. I got a chain, a deadbolt, and a stopper. So, and an alarm system. So we locked the hell in. That's that's how you do it. But anyway, uh, on next week's episode of Death and Dying, um, we'll be talking. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, let's move on to segment two. Yeah, uh, let's do that. Let's. Uh, I think we mentioned this whole thing started uh, Sammy Joe's in Mexico. Sammy Joe's in Mexico. So we're going to do this. Live in La Vida Loca. And we'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> Big shows coming up at the Comedy Zone in Charlotte, North Carolina in August of 2016. This weekend, Steve Byrne, you know him from Comedy Central, you know him from the Conan Show, from TBS, from the uh, show called uh, Sullivan and Sons that uh, ran for a season or two on TBS. You want to see him, Steve Byrne, uh, tonight, Friday night, August 5th, Saturday, August 6th, Steve Byrne in town. Sunday, one night only, Sean Jones, a night with Sean Jones on Sunday. August 7th. Next weekend, James Davis. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Funny on the Fly on the 14th. Fight Night on the 16th. Gary Owen, the legendary comedian Gary Owen. The uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th. A Night with Ryan Davis. Uh, August 21st. Who the hell is Ryan Davis? That's coming up on August 21st. Night of 500 Laughs, August 23rd. Theo Vaughn will be here on August 25th through the 27th. Of course, Fight Night on the 28th. Clap it up. 
on the 29th, the Almost Famous show on the 31st. Excuse me, Clap It Up's on the 30th, Almost Famous on the 31st. Just look, great shows coming up at the Comedy Zone in Charlotte, North Carolina. You can follow all the dates and details at cltcomedyzone.com. That's the website. Also, follow the Comedy Zone in Charlotte on social media at Comedy Zone CLT on Twitter and Instagram and also Snapchat. Also on Facebook, look for Comedy Zone CLT for all the dates and details. Worst case scenario, call the box office, talk to an actual human being, 980-321-4702. Great shows coming up at the Comedy Zone. Also, future shows, Big J Okerson, Sinbad coming, Ron Funches, all kinds of great shows coming up at the Comedy Zone in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome back. Comedy Zone Podcast, everybody. This is a nice little piece of uh, business yeah. there. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pep it up a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we, we finished talking about death and dying. Good. Now, I feel, so I feel, <laughs> now that everybody's feeling good. Yeah. I want to talk about Facebook. Uh, I have not been on Facebook in about a month. Good for you. Yeah, it's been a month of five weeks. I don't know if that's good marketing as a comedian. Probably not. I, that's probably, probably not, not what a uh, a marketer would recommend. But I've been off. I just I think I got to a point with Facebook where I got a little bit tired of loud, uninformed opinions. It just became a little much. Uh, every time I every time I would look, ooh, every time I would look. Uh, you know, on my feed or something, it was somebody throwing up some meme or some kind of BS statistic or just some wrong-headed thing. And and what happens is when you have, <clears throat> sorry, when you have social issues like you know what we've been experiencing and what's been at the forefront, you get a lot of people wading in waters that they're not used to wading in. So you get a lot of people jumping up talking about race that haven't talked about race in forever because they haven't had to because they've been on the uh, fortunate side of all that. So you get a lot of people jumping in like, oh, what about what what it's like, you know, yeah. people quoting black on black crime statistics. Like, when have you ever gave a damn about black? Or when? <laughs> yeah. when, cause, when? Since when? Since when? Yeah. So, you know, it's it. Uh, there was a lot of silliness. So I just kind of pulled away for a little bit. And generally, I don't care. Generally, I'll just unfollow people. But it just became like all I saw. So I kind of took a step back. And you know one thing I noticed in this past five months, six weeks? Uh, nobody gave a damn. Mm. Nobody gave a damn I was gone. <laughs> nobody, not one person said, hey, man, I'm used to you posting about your dates. I'm used to yeah. you posting about funny things that happened in your life. Ain't heard from you, man. How you been? Where you been? You okay? You dead? Nothing. Not one single person reaching out. Facebook didn't give a damn. Not even Zuckerberg. You think Mark Zuckerberg would at least be like, hey, uh, some auto-generated thing. Hey, man. Right. We ain't seen you in a while. (laughs) You haven't posted anything stupid in a couple weeks. (laughs) Right. You ain't been on here. Everything all right? Everything good? We ain't heard from you. Nothing. So that's when I realized Facebook is just that. And I knew and not realized. I already knew this, but it just underscored the fact that Facebook ain't your real friends. No, 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 no. So when you see somebody send you a friend request, that just means can I be in your business and do you want to be in mine? 
But this is not your friend. Stop looking at Facebook friends like they are your real deal friends. Like these are just people that want to see what you're talking about and you want to see what they're talking about. That's it. So you know who did call me, though? My real friends. Yeah. Right. People, people, people that I don't see all the time. Hey, man, ain't heard from me. Shoot me a text. They right. give you a call. Hey, man, you all right? You didn't die, did you? Hey, what's up? I ain't heard from you. Your real friends reach out. Yeah. That's not what Facebook is. And I think a lot of times, particularly younger folks, confuse the two. And they think that social media is real. It's not real. Whether it be friendships, whether it be threats, whether it be, uh, you know, insults, whatever. It is, none of the shit is real. So that just sort of um, reinforced that notion that just reinforced that notion. But now that I'm, I think I am going to make my return to Facebook uh, next week. I think I'm going to make my return next week because it's been, it's been a while. Like I, 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 well, I can't say nobody's reached out. Like on my comedy page, people have been saying, Oh, I saw you in such and such. You're really funny, really funny, really funny. So I've had people reaching out yeah. in that way, yeah, but not in the, Hey man, where you been? Way. Not like, yeah, you yeah. haven't been, yeah. but I tell you, I tell you this right now, if I wasn't a comedian, I would not be on Facebook. Yes. That, like, it is strictly for me for business. Like, I don't care about people's political opinions. Yeah. And the people, like, the people whose opinions I care about, like, I follow on Twitter. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I have a place where I can can receive information from people I'm interested in hearing it from. And it ain't Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is like, I don't know how you would describe Facebook. Facebook's like that uncle at the barbecue that just says shit. I had a friend who described Facebook as like if you're sitting on your your sofa, yeah, and you're in a room, mm-hmm. and there's a door on the on the on the right, and there's a door on the left, and people just come through, and they say random stuff to you, yeah, you know, on their way through the room, yeah. So it's, you know, I'm gonna have pizza for lunch, <laughs> and then the next guy comes in and Trump's a jerk, and then the next guy comes in and goes, how can you not vote for Trump? You're a, you what? Why do you hate America? And then the next person comes in and goes, I'm gonna have ice cream. <laughs> It's just a constant parade of random right, BS. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, which is why I guess I gravitate towards Twitter in some ways because yeah. then it's like I follow people that, you know, I can read articles they send. Exactly. And, yeah. But Facebook is just like, and then it's like just a lot of times it's just old people saying crazy shit. Like just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you know. So, so that's, that's Facebook and that's why I was off of it. But, you know, that does not, I've been performing, I've been, doing my thing i just haven't been publicizing it as much on facebook yeah, yeah. Uh, which which i think is a that's a vital part of it especially with comedy if you're in if you're in entertainment you need to be you have a presence you need to have a presence even if it's not necessarily your thing like you need to have a presence so i'll be back on there i'll be back on there probably next week but now i'm wondering about coming back to facebook do you just come back and start posting again yeah or do you come back and say, hey, man, it's been a minute, everybody. I'm back. Yeah. I took what you need to do is you come back and you make a big, long post about why you've been gone for a month and everything you've been doing <laughs> and just undo everything you've accomplished in the last month. Is that what you do? That's what you just do. <laughs> so I say, look, I got tired of the stupid shit y'all been saying. <laughs> so I had to go. You were too loud and all yeah. up in my feed. Yep. So I had to go. But I'm back now, yeah. and this is what I've been doing. I've, yeah. I've performed with Vera Dice. I've been doing here, there, I've been there, some everywhere, but I just ain't been on here. Yeah, but go on and on and on about it. Yeah, make a long, long yeah. ass post that <laughs> no one will read. Exactly, exactly. 
<laughs> get real meta. Make fun of the yeah. for forum itself. But here's what I think about this thing that happened. Yeah. While I was so just completely undo the entire reason you were off. Maybe I could do that. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm too probably too lazy. Yeah, don't do that. I got enough things I gotta focus on. Mm-hmm. I think you just come back like nothing. Just like, hey, I'm in, in Johnsonville, Tennessee this weekend. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Johnsonville? Well, whatever. Whatever. Johnson City. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think you mushed up Johnson City and Knoxville. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did, or I was thinking about brats. See, that's the, see, that's your problem, bro. That's the, see, that's that's your problem. You got you got, you got food to rats. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so, but anyway, uh, we talked. We I mentioned the election briefly in this um, discussion about Facebook, and uh, has Trump come unhinged, or was he already unhinged? I think he was already unhinged. Yeah. I, hey, but some of the things this week. I, every day, every two hours, there's something new. I saw the funniest tweet, dude. Like I saw this tweet from this guy. Let me get his uh, handle right. At Shane Goldmaker, he's a verified one of these verified. So okay. I guess he he worked with Trump's campaign or something. I okay. don't know. But his tweet said, "Since I left the office, Trump called Clinton the devil." So I guess he stopped working with Trump. But he said, "Since I left the office, yeah. Trump called Clinton the devil." fired a top aide and praised Paul Ryan's primary challenger. I left at 7 p.m. <laughs> yes. Trump did all this in three hours. So just left the office. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just like on his just way home. <laughs> he didn't leave. <laughs> like, he didn't leave in March. And this is all that's happened since March. Yeah. He left at 7 and posted this at 10. All that shit happened in the span of three hours. It's it, It's horrifying and fascinating to watch at the same time it, I, I, <laughs> the, the, the question over the weekend that why can't you know apparently in a one-hour briefing like you know national security briefing ask the question you know we're building all these nuclear weapons why can't we use them <laughs> three times in a one-hour briefing said like all right wait wait explain what, to me uh, why we can't use the nuclear weapons <laughs> what <laughs> Yeah. It's like a little kid with a button. <laughs> I just want to push it. No, 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 Donald. No, Donald. No, yeah, Donald. Stop. Get step away from the football. Are we going to have to do this with the nuclear codes, the button? They have to smack his hand like it's a pot of spaghetti? No, no, Donald. You can't push it. Yeah. No, no. no, no. Can't bomb Russia. What? <laughs> you can't bomb Rosie O'Donnell. Is there going to be a cabinet <laughs> position dedicated to keeping Trump from bombing people? I am ahead of us not bombing people. <laughs> the chief babysitter. The chief babysitter and get like a grandma. At Donald. Yeah. Yeah, like three times in an hour. Now, why, explain to me why we can't use the nuclear weapons. Did you ever see that movie? It was a movie that came out in the 80s. I forget. But it was about a, like a nuclear holocaust. And all mm. the people started dying. Do you remember that movie? It was like it scared the hell out of me. Made for TV or was it a regular movie? Yeah, I think it was a regular movie. I forget the name of the movie. I'm gonna have to find it. But it was made in like the 70s or 80s, huh. and there was a nuclear war, and then um, nuclear. We got nuclear bomb, and then there were people hiding in shelters and not wanting to come out. And then finally they came out, and their faces started yeah. peeling up. And hmm. but it was a propaganda movie. Like okay, it was designed so it to be like, like yeah, no, it it was a feature length movie, okay. but it was really for the leaders to see yeah like yeah. y'all need to quit tripping because yeah. this is what could happen yeah i had nightmares man oh sure yeah yeah every, I, I think every kid from the 50s on yeah has thought about you know when they used to have like 
The drills? Yeah, like bomb drills in school when you had to get under your desk. And Did you have those? Yeah. Uh, what was early, that like? What would they just, and then you had to do something? It wasn't loud. It was just like, you know, okay, kids, if you, you know, this is what, you know, might happen if, if, you know, if this does happen, here's what we're going to do. Mm. And I imagine in the back of their heads, it was, you know, yeah, hiding under that wooden desk isn't going to do a whole lot of good. Right. But. Um, yeah, what was up with that? What was the wooden desk supposed to do? I think it was to maybe just peace of mind. <laughs> More than <laughs> rather than just kind of sitting there and watching. I don't it, think yeah, hiding under a desk has ever saved anybody no, from anything. So ever. I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it was just to get us to stay in one place and keep quiet now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So now parents would be home. Bomb drill. Oh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah the movie was called the day after I, I do remember that yeah i do remember that what year was that 1983 80, okay yeah i watched it at work one day yeah oh freaked me out man freaked yeah. me out so anyway yeah you can't you gotta have leadership that's not I, you know i understand what the things that people say about about hillary and everything else but right. it, one it, thing i'm yeah. confident in is that she's not gonna be like like she's not gonna start Firing nukes. Right. I, I can be sure of that. I feel pretty good about. It. I feel <laughs> that, that. I feel pretty good about. I, I yeah. don't know about everything. Yeah. But I feel like she won't go firing off nukes. Yeah. I need my president not to fire off nukes. So, do you prefer the batshit crazy guy, or the woman who may or may not be a felon? I think that's what. That's the. Well, <laughs> I think this is I the have, shit sandwich that I, we've been. <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> That I said it on stage. It's like, uh, yeah, man. It's like being at the voting booth, tr- uh, trying to decide between a cup of shit and a bowl of vomit. Yep, yep. And it's like, which do I consume? Yeah, yeah. it's it, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, we've talked about this at work a lot in the newsroom that. If Trump gets really far behind, which he's starting to drop, oh, it's it's getting bad. Further and it's further getting behind, double digits. Will he quit? He might. And if he quits, then what do the Republicans do? I don't think Paul Ryan's going to do it. That would be the guy that they would want to do it. Yeah. I don't think Paul Ryan has any interest in being a part of this mess. I think the three. What I was reading was that they basically have to reconvene the convention and decide between Cruz. You know what? It would probably it would be, be between Ryan, Cruz, and Pence. Was the article that I said? Would what about be the Casey? Three people. I think he has the name recognition. I think he'd have the best shot out of the three. Probably. With independence, he mm-hmm. would. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to see it that way. <laughs> Pence is a Pence is a character too. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Um, what I saw from uh, I, I don't know if this was from the Post or where this was from, but it, they talked about the uh, interview that Megyn Kelly. Yes, did with a Trump surrogate, and they were they were writing about it. And they said among the things that Kelly found amusing was Trump seemingly acting like the addition of ramps to his buildings for people with disabilities was a charitable gesture on his part <laughs> and not a requirement. "Quote: Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. I spend millions and millions of dollars on buildings taking care of people with disabilities." End quote. Trump exclaimed at his rally. Uh, the fact that Trump has put ramps in his buildings is required by law, said Kelly. Quote, he doesn't get extra credit for that. You have to. <laughs> and then the Trump surrogate replied, but 
They're very expensive buildings, let me tell you. Kelly buried yeah. her hands in her head and said, oh, good God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that man thought, yeah. What you want, a cookie? Look how benevolent I am. Look how nice I am taking care of the, the, the and then he probably called him some horrible name. What you want, a cookie? <laughs> you want a cookie for doing some required shit? <laughs> you, <laughs> this, this is going to be an interesting next couple months. Can you remember a time this fascinating in politics? Can you remember? I, I can't remember a time where I was just like, what? But like fascinating in a horrible way, though. Yeah. How about fascinating and you don't know yeah. what the hell's going to happen? I think in two th- I remember in 2000 when the hanging chat in Florida and it mm. went a couple weeks after that. That was that was wacky. That was wild. Uh, but nothing like this, you know, where, you know, you have a guy who who's legitimately dangerous. Who could I, be president. the thing that concerns me most? I, I understand that, you know, people say ra- he's racist and he's he's this and he's that. The thing that strikes me the most is that he's just woefully uninformed Mm -hmm. that's the part that scares me because it i've seen what a president looks like when they don't know (laughs) how to sift through information sometimes it turns into we go to iraq yeah you know sometimes it turns into things like that when you don't have someone that can see through because that's what happens you got these cabinet positions they come up and and these different people they come up with these reports and these are the numbers, and this is this, and this is that. Yeah. You got to have the acumen to sift through all that and arrive at a decision. And I, from the interviews I've heard with the Donald, man, it doesn't sound like he's immersed himself in that. But that yeah, that doesn't exist. At, yeah. Like at all. And did you hear the author to Kasich? Yeah. What he said? You do everything else, and I'm just going to make him, make America better. They're saying that this man <laughs> offered Kasich <laughs> car blanche over foreign policy and domestic policy well what the hell's left yeah space space <laughs> policy you gonna be the head of space policy <laughs> i'm in charge of space policy and making america great again yeah. that's it so when it's some aliens trust me i'm on it <laughs> what the hell is going on man <laughs> it's gonna be gold for comedians as long as the country still exists if he's uh... As long as as long as this thing doesn't sink, I'm gonna get my jokes on. Is it worth it though for a couple jokes? I gotta provide for my family. <laughs> it might do. <laughs> I gotta I gotta look out for I my gotta, unit first, brother. Work I, to do. <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna do. I know what I got to do. I guess I'm gonna get back on stage. You That's better get your ass, <laughs> Brian. You better get your ass back on that. Stage. You know, some presidents are good for the auto industry. Some presidents are good for this. Is a gold mine <laughs> for Wall Street. This will be the golden age of comedy. The golden age of comedy. <laughs> the golden age. You put it this way: If Donald Trump is elected president, five of when all is said and done. Five of the ten greatest comedians of all time will be birthed in the next four years. Yes. <laughs> Carlin, Pryor, Cosby. Get all those guys. Right. This you got a, a new top five in the next four years. I guarantee you. Four years is all it takes. I'm putting my flag down. Yep. i so we're gonna. It'll be what what the 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 un uh, uh 
was it the recession proof industries? That's right. <laughs> Be booze, porn, and comedy. That's it. Booze, <laughs> booze, porn, and comedy. BPC. That's right. That's what it's coming down to. The next four years, booze, porn, and comedy. Invest in one of the three. And if you don't have the money to invest, do one of the three. Spread your legs or get on stage. Or go get you a 40. Because ain't no options besides that. The rest is dicey. <laughs> I told I was telling somebody that I said, you know what? At this point, when I hear these Trump quotes and stuff, like I, I don't. It's it's almost like my first year of marriage. I I stopped trying to understand things. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no- I've I've ceased trying to understand how women think and fit. like I don't try to get to the bottom of it. I just that's what it is. Let me make my move according to that. Yeah. So. At this point with Trump, I get these things, and all I have are SMDHs, you know, shaking my damn heads and uh, sweet mercy. Yeah, that's all I say. Shaking my head, sweet mercy. Shaking my head, sweet mercy. That's all I do every day now. Shaking my head, sweet mercy. Sweet mercy. So, but uh, we're gonna go ahead and transition uh, because we got a big interview coming up, Brian. Yes, we do. Now. Before we go into the interview, I want to set the backstory a little bit. We had Mick Foley on the podcast, WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley, uh, also known as Mankind, Mm -hmm. Cactus Jack, Dude Love, and now GM of Monday Night Raw. That's right. America's number one watched episodic wrestling wrestling show. Not no, but Raw is huge. I mean that's yeah, oh yeah. and that's and that's and that's big for for Mick Foley. I saw that. I started jumping around in my house like I got the GM spot. Yeah. So that's huge for him. You're gonna see him almost every week now on USA Network. I believe yeah. it's still on USA. No, I think that's right. Yeah, I think yeah. Raw's on USA. So yeah, Mick Foley got that gig. So we figured it'd be a great time to play part two of my interview with Mick because we had him in studio, but also Mick and I performed together in Greenville, South Carolina. And I taped like a half hour podcast interview with him on the way there. So we had uh, Mick Foley for another half hour, just me and him in the car. Two comedians in the car driving it. Well, a comedian and a wrestler who, who does a one man show that has comedic elements headed to Greenville to do a show. So it's almost like comedians with car doing coffee, just a little more wordy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and a little more hair because he's a he's a hairy. Guy. He's a he's a hairy he's man. A, he's a hairy. He's man. A, and and you'll hear in this in the great thing about this interview is it was informative. Yeah, you'll hear Mick talk about his career and uh, very comfortable. I find that sometimes in the car they're more relaxed and you know more free flowing with what we talk about. So please enjoy the interview, uh, Mick Foley in the car, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back with that interview right after this. So just give us a we'll be back and we can move on. We'll be back. All right, guys, you're about to hear that uh, Mick Foley interview, but uh, you can follow Mick Foley on Twitter at Real Mick Foley, R-E-A-L-M-I-C-K-F-O-L-E-Y, Real Mick Foley. 
Also find him on Facebook at Real Mick Foley as well. As for the crew, Will Jacobs is at I am Will Jacobs. Sammy Joe Francis is at Sammy on air, but she's in Mexico. So if you tweet her right now, she may not get back to you right away. I'm at NCBalto72 if you're interested. Also, uh, if you've ever considered uh, podcasting, you might consider taking a look at my book, The Podcast Pep Talk. It's available wherever you can find books. It's a very uh, real look at uh, how to start podcasts, how to uh, get yourself into a podcast, how to find your voice, all kinds of cool stuff. The Podcast Pep Talk available at Amazon for your Kindle. Uh, As for the show, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Radio. Please find us. Please leave a review. Best way to help the show continue to grow. Tell a couple friends about us while you're at it. Hey, Mom, and other people listening. I'm just assuming it's definitely my mom listening. But you can help help us out and go to cltcomedyzone.com slash podcast and let us know who you are because... We need a survey to know who's listening to us so we can make things more awesome for you, as if they're not already awesome enough. So go to cltcomedyzone.com slash podcast and get that survey done. Less than five minutes. Come on. Come on. You know you want to. All right. As Will mentioned in the uh, beginning, actually the end of the second segment, uh, this is his interview with uh, WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley, the new GM of uh, Monday Night Raw for the WWE. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, hang with it. It, it uh, lasts about 30 minutes. Great information, great stories. Mick Foley's a super sweet guy. And uh, so here it is. Will Jacobs with Mick Foley on the road to Greenville. I'll just uh, tweak things sometimes if, you know, like I said, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get to the, to the uh, core of something. It's funny, we're on now, right? Yeah. It's funny to see how emphasizing one, changing one word, emphasizing uh, one word can change, uh, you know, the, not, not just the meaning, but just make it, make it funnier. And, and I've been there where I, you know, thought, wow, why can't I, why is this not getting a laugh when it seemed yep. funny? Can I, can I give you an example? Yeah. Um... I was doing my uh, the show that eventually became Cheap Pops on WWE Network, and I was like, talking about an elbow drop for, for people listening, and you know they're not, not wrestling fans. I was uh, this is my first major, it's my big break with a national company. It's Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling. Oh yeah, and um, and I saw that I was going to wrestle the Steiner Brothers with a partner named Rick Fargo. It's not exactly a household name. And I like, you know, I dreaded it. Steiners were like animals. Uh, they devoured people. And then I heard Kevin Sullivan, who was a member of the booking committee, say, "Brother, what, what's your finish?" And it just surprised me so much. Finishing, finishing wrestling is a finishing move. And I was surprised. I didn't think I'd be getting any offense, let alone a finishing move. And uh, so I just blurted it out, like, "I dropped an elbow." Now the elbow I dropped was actually an elbow off the ring apron, a running elbow, diving out where my opponent was on the concrete floor. So it was high impact, and it was one of those moves where wrestling fans, you know, wherever they may be, whether it's 26 people in Polka, West Virginia, or, you know, watching on uh, television around the world, would go, oh, 
that had to hurt, you know, like there's always some question as to, you know, whether there's a, the ring is a trampoline, which is ridiculous, you know, and then when people see the ring being deconstructed, they're like, oh, it's plywood and steel, you know, <laughs> how do they do that? But there's no question about the concrete, uh, but I didn't explain that, I just said I dropped an elbow, and Kevin Sullivan was surprised, he said, like, an elbow for your finish? And so what I would say, and you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to use the bad word here. I'll just allude to it. Um, I said it should be, you know, without further explanation, an elbow drop can seem weak, benign, borderline. And then I would use the the, the p word there, you know, you know, Russiesque, right? But yeah. use the p, the p in there. And it wasn't, and I thought it was funny, uh, but. I wasn't going to laugh, so I think it was partially because I've already assured audiences I'm only going to drop one F-bomb, and you kind of come out of there with a, uh, not a bad word, but one that seems a little risque by my standards. Like, why, why can't I get a laugh? Why can't I get a laugh? So just one night, I tried it a little bit differently. I just said, without a, uh, you know, further explanation, an elbow drops, weak, benign, and I just said, borderline Hogan-esque. Hulk Hogan while being immortal and one of the great drawing cards of all time like he was not known among the hardcore fans as having like the, you know the real the incredibly physical moveset right. and so you know I think good you know making people laugh kind of touches on things that they already know you know you're telling things they already knew but hadn't thought of so as soon as I say Hogan-esque he gets the, you know he got the laugh I was looking for and then I fed off that, and I said, like, he's not here, is he? And then I take a pause and say, sorry, brother. And if people know Hogan, they know he uses that brother a lot. Oh, yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's... A... All right, now I've got a story, and I've got a place to go. And, if the, you know, sometimes you try to build on something, and you, uh, you, you add more lines, and then sometimes you realize that it's... Uh, um, you know, just right the way it is. It's, it seems like a similar, a similar pressure in some ways with comedy and wrestling. Because, they, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like in wrestling, just from observing it, that if you don't have a good story and you don't have, you know, something outside of the action that draws people into you, that makes you interesting. You might not be around for that. No, that's that's the key to it, and I think that's a similarity. You take the guy on stage. Mm-hmm. The guy's got, oh, he's got. You know, in, you pride yourself on writing your own your own stuff. I, oh, yeah. I take a lot of pride in uh, writing my own stuff. Although you know, one guy last night kept telling me I need a writer. He once said it like twenty <laughs> times. Like I think my stuff's pretty pretty good. Like I could someone need someone. I could use someone to like you know write punchlines for me. But say you give two guys the same exact material. One guy, even if he's funny, he might deliver it, but deliver it in a way that doesn't connect to people. Yep. And the other guy takes it. You know, this is something I really liked about your set is that you went, you kind of went to the edge with adult-oriented material yep. and brought it back before it got uh, uncomfortable. Right. And in some, you know, in my mind, sometimes not funny. Right. See. So, brought it back from there, and I think uh, that, you know, wrestlers have to learn the same thing, you know, like, you, you, you can 
the same two guys the same match and one guy is going to make it completely different based on the way he relates to the fans the pauses he takes uh, you know the facial expressions and um, and in that way I think uh, wrestling and comedy are, are very similar it's that intangible thing so that when I like honestly when I when I go home you know like I, I usually have a, a good guy you know like you know uh, featuring you know opening up for me and they they very rarely give me a bad comic to the point where I did do one a few months ago and I was like uh oh he's not getting a single laugh like and it was almost like somebody said to me like unfair to me to give me a guy that bad who wasn't gonna warm up the crowd at all yeah um so most of the guys are good, but usually you kind of forget what they talked about. You kind of forgot, forget what they say, and you just accept that they're going to be pretty good. Almost like going to an independent wrestling show these days. You accept that most of the wrestlers are going to be pretty good. They're going to be pretty well trained. They're going to be pretty dedicated. They're going to have good moves. But at the end of the show, you can't really, you can only remember a couple of names. Right. But I'll remember your stuff. Like I, oh, I'll remember. <laughs> I don't know if I can watch The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the same way, man. The same way. How did you come up with that? Well, you know, the funny thing was, man, I used to do uh, improv. Okay. Um, I was with a group called the Charlotte Comedy Theater, and we used to have this improv game where you would do different impressions of things and stuff, and I always loved the cowardly line. And uh, I, I was like, sometimes I'll have something, and I'm like, I want to get this in my act, and I got to figure out a way right. out. And, uh, you know, that was something that, you know, because I've seen myself on tape before and I didn't look like I thought I looked. Right, so, yeah, yeah. you know, so there's elements of truth in, in some of it. And uh, I'm like, well, that's a great way to, you know, I mean, most folks, when they reach that moment, sound or look goofy. Yes. And I was like, here's the thing. And you know, the moment I can, we're talking about is the, mo- the moment in the right. intimate experience, right? Right, that, the climax. Yeah. So, yes. you know, I'm like, well, you know, that's pretty... That's pretty funny to have that that funny breathing and then that noise, and then um, I just I started putting it in there and people people really got into it. And part of it too is you know when you talked about knowing the edge and bringing it back. Yeah. Well, that a lot of that comes from having gone over the edge enough times. <laughs> you learn. To yeah, learn, you learn. Right. Yeah. So some of it is oh that didn't work, and then you rein it in, and by the time you get to a show like the one we did, and I'm sure you had the same experience. You've done something enough times to where you get that up there and it's like yeah well this was that way because I screwed it up enough times to you know to yeah. know where to cut the line. I'm going to give you my Wizard of Oz screw up and how I mended it okay <laughs> I think you'll enjoy this my, my daughter came to one of my first actual like comedy shows and now I, nowadays I call it a you know a storytelling show but I really did uh, after doing a lot of college speaking I uh, spoke to maybe 70 colleges over the course of seven years so it wasn't like a full-time thing at all it was just you know welcome you know welcome you know welcome addition to the schedule and she came to the um, she came to one of my shows and Although I've since learned that Saturday Night Live did a sketch covering similar material, I thought it'd be funny if Mankind was Dorothy and was given the information, Mankind being, you know, for those who don't know, was probably my most famous character as a wrestler, pretty well known in the WWE in the late 90s. If Mankind was given the information, 
information from the Goodwitch that he had had the ability to go home all along. And in that part of the movie where Dorothy says, well, why didn't you tell me? And the Goodwitch says, well, you never would have believed me. And so I did, you know, I had these red house slippers. I went, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's, you know, I think I might have believed you. Like, I would have liked to have had that option on the table. Like, I would have made to make the decision for my... And what I did is I kind of cut... I thought, it's going to be funny if Mankind cuts a promo on The Witch. The problem is I didn't act... I didn't have a promo that I'd worked on. Oh. And I didn't have punchlines in the promo. And so I thought it went pretty good. And my my daughter loved the fact that I had the Dorothy pigtails in. And she would say, Dad, why don't you do that Dorothy thing? And I was like, I don't know, honey, I don't know. And then I actually did, four years later, had uh, one of the women who makes some of my Santa stuff make me like a triple X, meaning triple X for large, not a not a pornographic, <laughs> make me the blue and white checkered gingham dress. And I had the basket. <laughs> and... Uh, and and I and I did mankind as as Dorothy, really as Dorothy. And even as I was doing it, I was thinking to myself, "This is not how people want to see me. Like, this is not working. People are taking photographs. This is a really this is an embarrassing moment." But I still knew that, like, I felt like there was something there. There was something. There. So there's this brilliant impressionist in Canada named Jason Sensation. Known, uh, he had like a, a very short run when he was 21 years old or so, doing amazing impressions of Owen Hart. You know, he could do any, he had hundreds of voices he could do. And I would use Jason when I went up to, to Canada because he couldn't couldn't travel uh, into the U.S., didn't have his green card. And I was like, it still haunted me that moment where I was standing on stage as Dorothy. And I was trying to figure out how we could do that. I said, I know what it is. You know what? We're going to make Stone Cold Steve Austin the wicked, the the good witch, you know, good witch. And it's going to be me cutting a promo on Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know. Like, I'd say, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, hell, son, you never want to believe me. And I said, I think I may, you know, then I get up and say, do you know who you're talking to? And this guy did a dead-on imitation. You're talking to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it's still, like, no, it was, like, no, it didn't, it, it didn't quite work. And Jason and I were talking about it in the car, and I was laughing so hard because, you know, uh, the idea was that he was going to join me in, the, in, in singing at the end. And we were laughing so hard, but I, so my goal was, how do we get people to laugh as hard as we were laughing in the car? So the last show we did together in Canada, I said, Jason, I think I know what it is. Uh, originally, I wanted him to do an imitation so I could reprise the uh, stepbrother scene where, uh, where John C. Riley, who is um, Derek Doback, accuses Will Ferrell, who is Brendan Huff, of using his drum set. Right. Uh, but I wanted to do it as Kevin Owens, the re- WWE wrestler, who has a, you know, kind of a French-Canadian accent. I wanted to be like, hey, man, did you use my drum set? I know you used my drumsticks. And the problem I had is, Kevin's a great wrestler, but he's not in popular culture. You know, he's not yet for 
from pop culture. It's yeah, not, that, that, that yeah. far reach. It's yeah. not a Hulk Hogan reference that everybody gets. Yeah. And I was like, it's not going to work. I was like, it's not going to, you know, I didn't even try it on stage. It's not going to work. None of the people are going to know what we're talking about. And I don't know if enough people know Step Brothers to make that work either. Mm-hmm. And I said, here's what we do, Jason. The, <laughs> you're Dorothy. No. At Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm the good witch, but I don't try to play it like I'm myself as yeah. a good witch. Yeah. And so he was like, what in the hell is going on here? Stone Cold's drinking a Steve Weiser. All of a sudden his house takes off in a blizzard. And I land down and I find out and I'm just, you know, he's just making stuff up. He goes along and he goes, and then I said, well, you know, get me the hell out of this land of Oz. And I said, it's really not that much different than where you're from. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, do you like doo-wop music? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. <laughs> if you had to pick a favorite you know, doo-wop group, because maybe some Sha-na-na. <laughs> and it's, all right, what about junk food? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I like junk food. And originally, this is, he said, Ho-Ho's, okay? His Ho-Ho's is the one I'm going to refer to. But when he realized that if he could bring in the Steve Austin, the era when Steve used to list different things and crowds were they yep. knew to yell, what? what? Yeah. What? So, so always he goes, well, I like Pop-Tarts. First, it's a little bit of a what. He goes, I like Ding-Dongs, you know. What? Yeah. I, I like Yodels. I like this, you know. I like hot dogs. He goes, I think if I had to pick a favorite... It would be uh, uh, ho-hos. I said, "What about uh, what about that crazy professional wrestling?" And he goes, "Son, do you know who you're talking to? Stone Cold Steve Austin, the toughest SOB. Of course, I watch wrestling." I said, "Monday Night Raw. It's my favorite program." Why do you ask? And I said, "It's like I said, it's just like the Land of Oz." And then I started singing, "Sha na na, ho ho." And a couple of Monday Raws. <laughs> That's how we play the day away in the merry old land of Oz. And now this is, so I told Jason, I said, act puzzle. When I sing it the first time, the second time you get into it, right? And and so I said, the second time you get around, na ho, ho, ho. And then Jason grabs the microphone away from me and goes, and a couple of Monday Raws. <laughs> Um, 
and I thought it was a pretty good premise. It was based on the uh, uh, what they were calling the zombie killing in South Florida, where this guy was high on something known as bath salts, salts yeah. and had literally eaten off part of somebody's face. And it took police, like, you know, it took a lot to stop him, and they eventually had to kill him. And my point was, do you know how envious I was? <laughs> like, do you know what I did to my body to convince people that I was, you know, that, that I was unstoppable? I could, and all I have to do is take bath salts? And the idea was, you know, you take a guy like Damien Sandow, who doesn't have the great physique, but every six weeks, he would come out, and he'd be, oh, no, I think he's... I think he's on the bath salts. Right. And it didn't matter that bath salts had nothing to do with bathing. Right. I said, but we'd play it up. He'd be out there with a, you know, bathrobe and uh, soap on a rope around his neck. And the fact that, you know, he had to shave almost daily because he was hairy by nature. Man, you let that grow in and then, you, you know, the shower shower and bathrobe comes undone. And then you have to digitalize what people would envision as this giant bush. Yeah. And, uh... And Brendan reprimanded me that night. He was like, mate, what are you doing debuting new material? And I said, what do you mean? Said, you don't do that at the Fringe. You know, this Fringe is the biggest oh. comment. And I said, why? It's disrespectful. You owe it to the people here to give me your best show. Oh. And I didn't know that somebody was filming the show that night. Oh. And so people saw that bit the first time I brought it on stage. Mm. And it and it bothered me so much that I never tried it again. Oh, wow. And it was something that I thought could have really had life to it. But that experience. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, man, oh. So there are times when you try something, it fails, and you move on. You know, like, okay, that didn't work at all. But in the case of uh, Dorothy, I, I felt like we had something there. Well, the thing I, I try to do is, uh, and it helps, it helps a lot of times, like, if there's something new I want to run with, I'll make sure to put it between tried and true yeah, proven yeah, bits. Yeah. And then I'll slide that in there. And if it goes well, great. And if it doesn't, okay, well, I'm about to bring it right back. something else, yes. I put it in between. Because sometimes I used, to, <laughs> I used to come out and I think of something funny on the way to the comedy club. Yes. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to start with this. I can, and you get it and nothing. Nope, nope. And then it's like, uh-oh. And then now you're digging out of a hole for yeah. the first. And if you only got five minutes like I used to, you know, when I was MCing, you only got five minutes. Yes. So, but you know, with the with the longer time, you can you can climb yeah, a little bit yeah, better. Yes. But but I learned to start. You know, you start with until maybe twenty years in, I might try that. But <laughs> I put it in between stuff I know that works, so I make sure they get their money's worth. That's a good a good idea. Last night, even though I said, said I was winging it, mm -hmm. and uh, and then I got startled when you did so well. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah. At the same time, I said that it was unfair to me to, you, you know, somebody said it was unfair to give me somebody that bad. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like the problem you might encounter is that you are maybe too good to be <laughs> for some. Some people might, you know, like you probably there are probably comics who will go, no, I'm not, I'm not going to work with that guy. Just the, the same way there are bands that don't want to be outshone by a warm-up band. Not to get two acts together, they know they're working together. That's great. Yeah. But um, you want some people want someone to be good, but not that good. And I was like, oh, this guy is that good. And I, and I went out. First of all, I want to listen to the set. I, I could see it was really 
responding to it. But I also was like, let me see just how good this set is. And I really did last night. I, I, I wrote down outside of Magic Warrior, wrote in the palm of my hand, Dusty, because I knew I had a good story about Dusty Rhodes that would work. And I, well, the thing is, I, did, I knew that if I didn't bring up Dusty, that if I was truly winging it, and didn't have a good story in there that I might, you know, I might, the comparison between your set, which was so good, and my set, which was not, which was a work in progress, um, would be too pronounced. But even before that, and when I told people I was going to wing it, I said, don't worry, I'll, I'll have a couple of like, greatest hits lined up in case things aren't going well. And, uh, uh, you know, last night, during the Q&A, the first question was about the, uh, the Hell in a Cell match. And it just so happened, you know, I've got a lot of tried and true stuff about the Cell, so I kind of wove that in there. As, and I think a lot of people can probably understand, like, he's not just winging this. No. You know, like, this just sounds like something he's worked on. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a balance. You want to get your new stuff in there, but, uh, you know, I've been on both sides of that where it's like there's times where because I, I, I always make it a thing where whenever I finish a show I stand out there and I shake people's hands and I say thanks for coming out even if I felt it that it was bad right, right. like I, st- I still make myself do that and I've been on both sides of it I've been on the side where sometimes you know I'm the feature and I come out and people go you know and maybe they've been drinking too and they'll go you know, you were better than the headliner. And the headliner would be standing right there. And I'm like, I, there were times where I didn't know what to do with that. I know, I know. But I've also been on the side of it where I'll be standing there next to the headliner and somebody else, and they'll go, and you can tell when people don't think you did well. We made it pull over from the cookout. You want to? Yeah, that might be uh, that might be the end of the, this uh, podcast, <laughs> the cookout. But, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. If you have a guy, um, and, I, and I asked... Um, well, hold on. Let me let me let me, yeah. let me just say this though. I've been on the side of it, not only with the you were better than the headliner, but also I've been on the side of it where they say, "Oh, great job, man! You were fantastic talking to the headliner." Yeah. And then talk to the other guy and go, "Oh my God, you were so good!" And then they'll see me stand there and go, "Oh yeah, uh, you too." And then they go, <laughs> <laughs> oh or or they'll compliment something that's got nothing to do with comedy. They'll yeah. go, "Oh man, you were um, you had a lot of energy up there, man." Was, <laughs> like, was I funny? So I've been on both sides of that, man. You know, uh, some headliners, they've got a name, are, you know, people are already predisposed to wanting to like, you know, like their material. And you probably know, you know, in, in the industry, people talk about guys, you know, who, you know, don't really have the passion anymore. Um, and are, you know, are making money, they're getting to the merchandise table. And some people are going to think they did a, a good set anyway because they want to, they want to like that set because you see the guys movies or whatever um, but I and, and but there are other guys who, who may be the headliner without the recognition and I think those are the nights where people say whoa like, yeah right here you know, here where they say yeah the uh, feature was better than the headliner I guess wrestling can work the same way right sometimes the match before yeah and the final match it can and um I, I made a brief mention, and I didn't want to put down the guys who were in the match after them because uh, make a right or yeah, I think we make a right. Um, 
see. Actually, I don't see much down there. I think it was the right. Well, if not, we'll go the other way. Yes. Um, but um, two female wrestlers, Sasha Banks and um, Bailey, had uh, maybe, in my opinion, the match of the year. Oh, wow. And then two guys had to go out there and try to follow it. Kevin Owens and uh, Finn Balor. Mm-hmm. They had a heck of a match, but it was like, you know, the idea of trying to follow that. So I think I made that reference. Now I know how the guys felt trying to follow Sasha and Bailey. <laughs> Got a little bit, a little bit of a laugh. Um, but in wrestling, yeah, you're trying to, uh, you know, sometimes you know you are the say you're the popcorn match. That's the you know, that's the match after intermission, designed to slowly bring people back from these concession stands mm. and get them back into the spirit of the, the wrestling. You don't want to put your show stealer on after admission. Right. And you hopefully, you know, sometimes then if they, yeah, they turn around. After there's been a really a match that people know is going to be really good, uh-huh. uh, they will then, then you go to intermission so that people can take a break, recharge, bring them in with the popcorn match. But um, there are definitely times when, when guys are, you know, it's understood that you're going to be trying to steal the show. Has it made it harder? I mean, because I, you know, like I said, I, I was a wrestling fan for a lot of years. And I, it seems like fans are smarter. Yeah, they're a lot smarter. When they talk about workers and like I yeah. listen to some podcasts and stuff. And I'm like, these cats are really like going into detail about who was a great worker. When I was younger, it was just like. The guys who were pot, the guys. Yeah. If someone was promoted, you could, you could make people popular with enough promotion. Of course, there were guys like Ric Flair, like Dusty Rhodes, like Roddy Piper, who could literally go anywhere and get over, as you say, you know, be popular within weeks because they had it. There were other guys, you know, that uh, uh, really benefited from the machine getting behind them. But these days, especially once, uh, once you had to start having good matches regularly on television and you couldn't hide a guy's uh, weaknesses quite so readily and so uh, I remember going to the Meadowlands um, for a show and thinking it was a really good card because all these big names were on it and my friend said no it wasn't and then he went through why every match stunk (laughs) and I was like I hadn't thought of it that way like I thought if they were good I don't think we're going to find this cookout. We better, uh, we better turn around. Yeah, I'm not seeing much here. One of the joys of the road, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is something um, uh, that I found. This is a, a bond that wrestlers and comics have. Is mm-hmm. that you get your best stories and material from your worst shows. Oh, you know, yeah. The oh, worst yeah. circumstances. And uh, if there's one story I'm guilty of repeating, or maybe too often, it's the story about, you know, the, the guy projectile vomiting on the woman. In front oh, yeah, of yeah. I, I mean, I do tell that story quite a bit because it kind of, um, I think, it's, A, it's a pretty good story, and it also kind of warns people not to be the guy yelling out random stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, that's a true story. Yep. Oof. Right on the lady. Oof. Gosh. <laughs> I remember when I heard that. I'm like, oh, we're, my. we're not going 85 North, are we? Oh, yeah, we are. Oh. Nah. Yeah. We better yes. try to go down there and try to get around. Don't worry about it. They'll have some food first there, right? Yeah. We're not that far away. Oh. These are the, this is what makes for a great <laughs> podcast, right? I love it, man. That's it. 
Uh, let me, uh, you know what? If we can close here, yeah. I'm going to tell you um, uh, one of my favorite stories about a bad show. And this is going back to the same comic, uh, Brendan Burns. Uh, before we did Just for Laughs, we did uh, four or five warm up shows. Um, and he was counting on me to book these shows, but I'd never booked events. You know, like I, I didn't know anything about actually booking the events. So I was calling around, and I called the guy who I did, did some comedy stuff, and, um, man, he put us in some, some, bad, some bad places. <laughs> and uh, we, Brendan had won something known as the, uh, the Perrier Award, or the Eddie, which is, goes to the best act of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, uh, Scotland. Very prestigious, and, uh, you know, he's known among comics is like a comics comic, you know, like great comic, works really, doesn't work broad, as they say, like you got to be with him on the ride, you know, you got to be really tuned in, and uh, we show up at Joe's Bar and Grill, and uh, we see the marquee, and not only does it not say my name, but it has a wing special on the marquee, and even worse, it's not even today's wing special, it's yesterday's wing special. And we walked in, uh, and, uh, and people are like, hey, Nick Foley, what are you doing here? I'm like, um, I'm doing a comedy show. And a, like a guy like that works there goes, we don't do comedy shows here. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, we're on schedule. And someone goes over and says, oh, you're in the attic. And we actually we walk upstairs, and there's like 11 people sitting around a, a strobe light. Wow. And as you can guess or maybe know, a strobe light is the worst possible lighting for uh, uh, somebody on stage, really distracting. And Brendan uh, going, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I won the F and Eddie, mate. I'm not doing it. I've been doing this 25 years. No one treats Brendan Burns this way. And I said, they start playing his music. And I said, but Brendan. He goes, yeah. I said, Think of the stories we can tell. And he goes, all right. <laughs> well, and, and he went out there, and and he killed it in front of 11, 11 or 12 people. And I went out there, and I thought I had a, a good set. And we laughed about that show, like, the the, the, the whole way home. And uh, uh, But that's, that's, like, my polka West Virginia. So... Hey, thank you for having me on. Uh, Absolutely, man. Let me, let me ask you one last question. Okay. What advice um, would you give to somebody, whether they're starting out in the wrestling business or in comedy? Because you've done so much stuff. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody? Is it about persistence or what, what's something that carried you through all this? Well, it, you know what? you gotta, you got to do what you love. Um, but when it's wrestling... I, you know, I, I give people three, three small pieces. Is this the road eventually going to take us back? Yeah. To, uh, you think? Okay. Because we are officially in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> road signs in the middle of nowhere. And I tell people like, you know, like, uh, be, you know, be safe. You know, which sounds ridiculous because I wasn't known, for, you know, being particularly good to myself out there. So be realistic about the odds of making it. Because uh, we were talking last night after your set about, uh, you know, what makes a, 
uh, you know, a comic successful. And, you know, we've seen over and over guys who have a, a good show, but not necessarily a great show. Right. And they'll go on to not only have specials, but star in TV shows. And you know, how does how, how does he do that? Wasn't this guy funnier than him? So you got to be realistic. And then I tell people, like, not to be, not to forget to have fun. Right. But the uh, most profound thing... There's only two profound things I believe I've, I've ever said. One of them was to an adult film star uh, after I'd had two drinks. And, uh, and uh, she's a wonderful young lady, but very self-conscious about living in a world where people can just Google, you know, like, you know, like that's, that's an enormous weight to live under. You know, someone Googles me and they go, wow, oh, oh, that cell match must have hurt. Mm. They Google her and say, like, oh, I didn't know that was even possible. You know, like, that must have hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm very appreciative of the fact that she trusts me and is comfortable around me. And uh, it was Brendan Burns actually gave me uh, the two drinks. I asked for one, he gave me two at a post-WrestleMania party. And I went up to my uh, friend from the adult film world. And I said, um, she said she was going to walk around, which meant she was actually comfortable. I said, okay, but if you need me, I'll be here. She said, oh, thank you. And I said, hey. And I said, if you need me, I'll be here. But if you need me, I'll be here. <laughs> like, wow. not, like, not just here at the table, but, like, not if you need me tonight. Right. You know, but if you need I'm here. I'm here for you. Yeah. And I said, "Wow, that was that was profound, right?" If you need me, I'll be here. Hey, if you need me, I'll be here. I'll be here. Um, and the other profound thing I said was, uh, "This applies to wrestling and, and comics, like not to let other people other people define what being a success is mm. for you." And I think that's really important. Because wow. uh, guys will, will go in to make it, say, if they're lucky enough to make it to NXT, WWE's developmental division, mm-hmm. then they only consider themselves a success if they make it to WWE. But then if you make it to WWE, unless you're a top guy, they don't consider themselves a success. It's like, think about everything you've accomplished. Like, you, got, you get to define that. And for me, that means, like... I don't care if there's, uh, you know, we're going to have a pretty nice crowd on hand, you know, hopefully close to 200 people. But if things go well, I'll get the same rush out of 200 as I used to get in front of 20,000. Oh, yeah. And on certain nights, I've gotten the same rush out of 12. And, on, you know, in other situations, when I'm Santa, you know, and, I'm, and I have a, a, a visit that makes a parent cry or, you know, or, and, or I know I'm getting that photo where, you know, I'll be on a refrigerator for... Uh, you know, for 10 years or so, I can get that same feeling. So that would be, in conclusion, in conclusion, let me say, don't let anyone uh, in life define for you what being a success is. That's a good note to end on, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank Thanks you. for doing man. this. Good talking and hanging with you. And uh, we're going to... Um, I, did I say we're to 200 tonight? I think we have 2,500 tickets sold. So there we go. I was mistaken. 2,500. Foley doesn't play 200 people. 2,500, <laughs> not more. Maybe 20. No. Thank you very much.
And all the best, man. You, you've got a world of potential. Thanks, man. Same to you, brother, and that's it. All right, thanks for hanging with it. That was uh, Will Jacobs and Mick Foley on the way down to uh, the Comedy Zone in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, recorded a couple months ago. Uh, we've been holding it for just such a special occasion as uh, this week. Great stuff from Will. Thanks for doing that. Thanks to Mick Foley for doing that. And uh, next week on the uh, on the Comedy Zone podcast, Sammy Joe Francis will be back. We're scheduled to have James Davis in studio next week. That will be interesting. And uh, so we hope that you will join us again for that. As a reminder, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave a review. Please tell two friends about us. It's the best way to help us continue to grow. For Will Jacobs, for Sammy Joe Francis, I'm Brian. Thanks to Mick Foley for joining us. And we will see you next week on the podcast. The Comedy Zone Podcast is a production of Comedy Zone Worldwide and is recorded in a bunker just off the Comedy Zone showroom at the Abbott Exchange Music Factory in Charlotte, North Carolina. The executive producers of the Comedy Zone Podcast are Brian Heffern and Brian Bumpashevitz. Talent Wrangler is Mike Hall. Original music composed and performed by John McKeever. 